0: All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck Nicks? What's happening? My name is Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? Lawrence O'Donnell is on the show today, Lawrence. Uh, you may know him from his nightly show on MSNBC. you yeah, he was uh, he's a he's an author. He's here to talk about a book. He's a former Senate staffer. He was a writer for The West Wing. He was an actor in stuff like Big Love and Monk. And he's got a book out, Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics. He's going to be here in a minute. I'm going to try to turn this ship around. There's got to be some good things. You know, I, I, I'm i trying to be optimistic about the future, trying to be practical. I, I swear to God, I, you know, my life right now, I'm trying to, to box stuff up. And uh, get stuff uh, together, and I'm throwing out a lot of stuff, and and I really just don't give a fuck about it anymore. I never thought that day would come to where I it just all these chotchkes and bullshit things that have just been hanging around, you know, get, like I'm like a cat. I'm no different than a cat, really. With everything that's in my rooms, I, there's not. I don't have a lot of shit, but in the garage, I have a lot of shit. But it's just what I'm comfortable with. Like if I remove large swaths of the shit in here, I'll, I'll be awkward and uncomfortable, and I I won't know where to to. You know, I I I wouldn't know where to sit. I wouldn't know where to 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 rest. I I'm just like I get comfortable with the shapes in my environment, and now I'm moving the shapes. I'm throwing stuff out. I'm moving the shapes. I'm emptying rooms. It's fucking. It's weird, but I do not give a fuck. And I think maybe that's a, a sign of growth. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm, I'm old er, and I don't uh, see any reason to carry this shit around anymore. Sometimes you just want a blank slate. you just want a, an like the, you want just a mattress on the floor, that moment where you get everything out and it's just a uh, you and that lamp. And that mattress on the floor. And you're like, why didn't I do this from the be- very beginning? Because you have a lifetime of garbage that you amass and collect. And for some reason, you can't get rid of it. There's days where I'm just sort of like, I, I want everything gone. I don't want to feed these fucking cats anymore. I don't want any of it. And then there's days where, you know, I read the news and I'm like, I don't know. I just talked to uh, ta Coates in here. And we were talking about a James Baldwin quote. That he had he had said gave him relief, and uh, I, I guess on some level it does. But James Baldwin said uh, you should be aware that failure is a distinct possibility. I don't know if we're going to turn a corner. We might not turn a corner, and then what does that look like? Do we just adapt? It's so it's so like chest crushing, all of it. I don't know what to do some days, other than think about leaving. But you know, there is there's there's the macro, and then the, there's the micro. You know what I mean? Like, there's still good moments, right? We've we've got some good moments, don't we? Have good moments, folks? Few good moments. All right. I don't know why I don't just tell you, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving out of this crumbling small. <laughs> Adobe (laughs) two-bedroom cabin I live in I'm moving somewhere else and I should be excited I am excited I got a different house and it's very exciting but I've been here a long time and I'm dug in here and I'm dug into this garage and I'm dug into everything that's you know in the garage and in my life and in my house but I haven't done any work on the house really other than a driveway for years it's falling down then the idea is sort of like well what do I do i'm I'm still gonna work here I don't know what to do with the house just yet but I am going to another house and I don't know why I haven't been telling you about it I just feel like you know it, it, there's so much else going on in the world what do I gotta share why should I share anything I'm excited about I was looking for a long time kind of half thinking about doing it and then I just uh Found a place and I'm going to do it. And it's a big thing. I've only bought one house. This was the only house I bought. And I've worn it out. I've worn this house out. But uh, I can't really start recording at the other place for a while. So I'm going to be here in the garage for a while. And now will let you know what happens. But that's why I'm going through all my stuff. There's a lot of heartbreak and a lot of weirdness in this house. There's a lot of ghosts. There's a lot of bits and pieces from... You know, several different relationships. There's bits and pieces of, you know, several different, you know, big ideas about how I should live and who I'm living with. There's bits and pieces of my life going all the way back to, you know, college in this garage. And it's like, I, I don't know what to take. I don't know what to leave, but I'm excited. And maybe I don't feel like I deserve it or something. Maybe all this work. I just got to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm not married. I don't have children. What what am I doing? What am I waiting for? Isn't, you know, getting a new place one of the exciting things people do? So I did that. And now I'm overwhelmed, anxious, terrified, and in chaos. But I'm excited. And it's a good thing. And I don't know. I, I would have just stayed here like a cat. But then I started to think like, is it, do I want to die in this house? Is this, where, is this where I want that to happen? Am I just going to die along with this house? Am I just going to watch myself crumble as this place crumbles? As bolts fall out of window hinges, I just get used to it and wait for the drop on the floor and then stick it back in when I close the window? As roofs leak, do I just start to watch myself hunch over, walk slower? In this house, nope, I'm fucking moving. It's a big deal. So there, it's out of the bag. I'm happy about it. I'm nervous about it. I'm overwhelmed, but I, I feel like I worked hard and I'm going to go and live in a, in a nicer house, okay? There, I said it. Why am I ashamed to say that? It's so stupid. Oh, yeah, I got this other thing I wanted to share with you. A nice story. I like this story. It's from an email, but I think uh, <laughs> it was touching. My eight year old is in tears over Buster's return. That's the subject line. How am I not going to pop that open? Hello, Mark. I wanted to let you know that my husband and I are longtime fans. We often listen in the car and our eight year old son was with me last week when he discussed Buster running away. We have three rescue cats who are all brothers. They're about 18 months old. And when my son heard you say Buster was missing, he burst into tears and said we needed to find a way to help. I later found him in his room making missing Buster kitten signs. Mind you, we live in the suburbs of Chicago, and I told him this gesture was very kind, but I doubt Buster would make it this far from home. This morning, while listening to you on the way to school for him and work for me, we heard Buster was back and he cried tears of joy for you and asked that I pass along the message that he is so happy for you to have him back. (laughs) Oh, boy. I hope this message finds you well. And please never forget that you have fans big and small all over. All my best. That's a that's a sweet one. You look, I, look, I'm I'm glad he's back too. Seriously, so Lawrence O'Donnell, the Lawrence O'Donnell, um, intense guy. If you watch his show on the MSNBC, means business. He's got his sights focused on some. Uh, he's he's he, he's going for it. He's gonna he wants to take this fucker down. That's no doubt. But he's done a lot of other stuff. He's lived an interesting life, and he grew up in Boston. And somehow he's, he's managed to temper that a little bit, but he comes from Boston. So, uh, so it's, I was excited to talk to him. So this is me talking to uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. New book is Playing With Fire, The 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics. All right. Okay, here we go. You have a like a life out here too, right? Do you have yes. a house and a car? Yeah, I have a house and a car in Santa Monica. Yeah. You shoot the show in New York. Yes. All the time. Yes. It, isn't that getting tiring? Uh, I do it here. Like I'll, I'll. Oh, do you can it, do it here. I can do it here. Like I'll, I'll do it
1: here. Uh, you know, if I'm here for a weekend, I'll sometimes yeah. do it here on Monday.
0: Do you consider you this know? your home? I do because I don't have another home. I have hotel rooms, and yeah. so it's my home. So I, you know, I am I'm, I'm going to try not to just uh, engage you on political matters, but uh, but like I read some of the press for this, and I looked through this book, and and I just talked to uh, Ken Burns, oh yeah, and Lynn Novick. I watched all of the Vietnam War documentary, and this uh, this there's backstory in that that shows up here in your book because it's history, mm-hmm. and I it, I found comfort in that uh, it seemed like things were pretty bad then. Like, I, I think, you know, I know oh. things are bad now, but when I watched that, because I was too young and too, like, uninterested or apathetic to really wrap my brain around it, but the country was about to come apart. Yes. And that's what this book is about, really. Yes. Right? It's yes. about heading into that. Yes. So you you think it was worse then? Oh, yes. In, <laughs>
1: almost incalculably worse. And you remember it. I lived it.
0: Because you're a little older than me. Yeah, you're I went in college. to. I went
1: to Vietnam funerals.
0: Right. So you were in college in '70. Yeah. You started in '70. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, would, I know I was there in '72 because that's when I got my draft noticed. You so, did. Oh, yeah. so you got
0: one of the last ones. I got one, one of those the last ones, ones where it was just sort of like, "Go die." That's right. Yeah. You know, we don't even. Right. We don't even know what's going on there anymore. That's right. Go die. Yeah. You got one of those draft got notices. One of those. So how did what
1: happened? So I got the draft notice, and I had to go to South Boston to the uh, Southie. So I got to go down there for my physical. Yeah. And so there were these guys there, you know, who were like dressed as women and trying to get out of it, you know, and, right, and, and pretending to be mentally ill and all this stuff. And and by this time, you know, they, they'd seen everything, and yeah. so you could not just walk in there in a dress and get out of the draft. Right. Like not anymore. Covered like, in peanut butter. Yeah, like saying that, that shit would work. Yourself. That would work in '67. Right. No, it isn't going to work now. You know, and <laughs> and, and so. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I go through this whole thing.
0: Are you telling me you were dressed as a woman and no, you turned away? I in went in. And
1: I couldn't think of anything, so I went in dressed as me. Yeah. And and I passed the physical, and uh, and so then the process was: you go home, yeah, and you wait uh, two weeks approximately.
0: Yeah.
1: Then you're going to get a letter that says, you know, be at South Station Saturday morning at 5 a.m. for the bus to Fort Dix for oh my basic God, training. Just like that. Just like that. Right. So. <sighs> I, and I'm at home, and and you know, and I'm we're trying to figure out what to do and and how to deal with this, and uh, and the one thing I was sure of was I'm not going to go. That I'm not going to do. And really? So am I? I'm going to. You decided. Yeah, that. you I'm, had resolve I'm, around. Yeah, that. and it was I'm going to go. Uh, I'm I'm going to, you know, end up in federal court like Muhammad Ali and go to prison. I'm glad and, you had a
0: precedent for you.
1: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> me and or, or am I going to go to Canada? Am I going to go to Sweden, but I'm not going to South Station yeah. in 2 weeks. Yeah. And you know my father was a lawyer by then. He he was a cop and he he went to law school nice. He was a lawyer by then and and he had represented uh, some of the very first uh mafia people who'd ever gone to trial in America. In in Boston. Uh, in Boston. The and Irish so, mob or the No, 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 Italian the Italians. Oh, yeah? and so he New people, like if you go if you go to Danbury, <laughs> yeah, you will eat well, yeah, and because uh, you know Jerry and julio will take care of you and all. You know. So it's like all this stuff was going Food's on. Foods an easy favor, and, and <laughs> then bang! Like ten days into this, Nixon ends the draft. That day over, done. oh man! Oh man! And you were just sweating.
0: Yeah, you were going to have yeah. to go meet with some mobsters, right? And it- but
1: there's all these people. You know who are alive today yeah uh those guys that i was over at the uh induction center with in south boston all of them yeah lived and they all you know none of them joined the army because they wouldn't have been there getting yeah. drafted if they wanted to join the army uh many of them went on to have grandchildren who don't know yeah, that what how lucky they are that that, that person lived.
0: Yeah, and and now they live. Yeah, I and in, in, in after watching that Vietnam doc, knowing that at that point that there was everyone, everyone knew that there was no point. Yes, and that people were still dying and still being drafted for it was a, a lost cause. Well, and and the the worst thing
1: of it all is the people yeah. who knew there was no point included. The presidents who did this yeah all of them i mean lbj from knew. the beginning yeah the, like even kennedy yeah. they were like that's uh, uh, yeah. it's not it yeah and and nixon and kissinger they knew you know and uh you know and remember the crime nixon commits yeah is to continue the war the crime he commits is is to say for me to get elected there can't be any breakthrough for peace i won't win if lbj has a breakthrough for peace They're, right therefore i want this war to extend. so he goes
0: behind lbj's back right
1: yeah, but yeah but when but to say i want the war to extend remember yeah. is to say i want thousands more american soldiers dead kids so that i can win the presidency
0: yeah kids so okay so that in itself that level of of moral bankruptcy you think you think that so far transcends trump's level of moral bank well i think trump has shown himself to be a person who would do exactly the
1: same thing right i mean in the same you give him that setting and it could be worse sure right Uh, it it absolutely could be worse and and so but but what we saw was what we now know is a president was elected in 1968 in the middle of a war thanks to collusion with a foreign power that's how he
0: was elected the south vietnamese yeah
1: yeah, and the North. He communicated to both, but specifically oh, really? it, the best the best line of communication was to the South. But this
0: uh, woman, And LBJ, didn't want to make it. He didn't want to make hay about it for the, the sake of the country, the good of the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So wait, now your dad was a cop when yeah. you were a kid. He was a Boston cop, and uh, wait, what years though? When did he? You know, in
1: uh, after the war. So you know, the late forties, early fifties. He was a Boston cop, and so I was when I was. Born in the early '50s, he was a Boston cop, and so no kidding. Yeah, and, and he was. What uh, part of
0: Boston did you grow up in? Uh,
1: I grew up in Dorchester, which is Come like on, way really? above where my father grew up. My father grew up in Roxbury. Actually, my father West grew Roxbury. Up, no, no, no. That's that's like the Conan O'Brien neighborhood. That's like the classy people went to college
0: in West Roxbury. Oh, I didn't know if it was bad then. Though. <laughs> no, no. So Roxbury, <laughs> no, West Roxbury.
1: Roxbury, but Roxbury is a whole other thing. And 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 so he grew up very poor because uh, uh, you know his father. Uh, died uh when he, my father was about 11 years old and so he and were his they far- out,
0: were, out, were they first generation your grandparents No 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 my no.
1: my my grandfather my father's father came yeah. over here when he was a year old so so yeah. okay, okay. so, yeah. so he was
0: born in Ireland yeah,
1: yeah. and yeah. so my father had a really really uh tough life yeah. and um and ended up luckily uh becoming for him becoming yeah. a Boston cop because You know, they never fired cops, so now you have a paycheck for the rest of your life, right? And, uh, yeah. And, and, but he's a wise guy because, you know, he's, that's what we are, and and so so, so he's the O'Donnells are or the Irish? well the Boston Irish yeah the Boston, the Boston Irish there's just there's sure. you know it's it's a culture that's a clenched fist yeah I, you know?
0: I, I lived there for years I, and I was terrified I don't have to convince you I was, te- I was terrified right. I, right. I was paranoid <laughs> right.
1: and so and so um, so he's a wise guy and he's sitting there in the witness stand as a Boston police patrolman right and he's getting cross examined for, for anything I, okay. for anything <laughs> right and he's getting cross examined by yeah. these lawyers and he's sitting there thinking i could do that oh. i could do that
0: that <laughs> yeah, guy i could do that he's making more he's money a, he's
1: barely a high school graduate okay yeah, he, did, yeah, he did yeah he did terrible in high school yeah. he's sitting there thinking he's smarter than every lawyer in the courtroom yeah yeah, you know right and it turns out he is <laughs> and so he he's the first boston cop ever who uh, goes to college and law school nights and back then he didn't even finish college he yeah. went he went to an unaccredited college Suffolk University. Uh-huh. He went for two years. That was enough for the unaccredited law school at yep. Suffolk University to let him into the law school. So he then, you know, gets through law school and uh, and becomes a lawyer. So really, for, you know, my functional memory, you know, my old man was a lawyer, which was a a giant giant difference in my neighborhood where everybody else's father was a cop or. but did fire he become
0: like the, the the neighborhood lawyer
1: no no he I became mean, a big time boston criminal lawyer like that like he's the guy you go to and like no the shit guy. yeah he became the guy it was fascinating you know because he when i was a kid yeah. you could never get the slightest hint that anyone he was representing might have done it like that's out of the question you know <laughs> and um and a disturbing number of them you know went to jail <laughs> on, 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 on ju- unjustly things? as far as i know, oh, oh, right, you right. know right yeah 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 and, and uh so yes and and there was a lot of um you know there's a lot of adventure and in, in the way he did it you know mm-hmm. and and he uh He went much more with gut than scholarship. I mean, just amazing things that he pulled off that I watched him pull off.
0: But that that was the period where Whitey Bulger was running everything, right? No. Okay,
1: here's the illusion of Whitey
0: Bulger. But you grew up in Dorchester, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Whitey Bulger was the next place over in South Boston. Southie, uh, right. And, you know, my oldest brother's... Uh, how wife, many wife once had a date with Whitey Bulger. Really? Yeah. How, how many? They grew brothers? up in the same how housing many br- project. How many? I have three older brothers. That's it. Yeah, and a younger sister. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, so you
0: did the Catholic thing. They did what they oh, had to do. Yeah, but
1: my mother <laughs> underpopulated. Oh, she really? only had five kids. Each of her sisters <laughs> had nine. okay. Plenty your cousins? My mother was lazy yeah. about this. What did you, you know? She had a job probably? No, she did she didn't most of the time. She ended up uh, working in my father's office and and bringing some sense to that. and, so, <laughs> and some much needed calm, I might say. Was uh, he a
0: chaos guy?
1: He was uh, very chaotic yeah. and he was uh, filled with all kinds of rage that would come out, you know, almost every other day and i was about 12 i think when i discovered the source of that uh which i wrote about in my first book but he was 11 years old yeah uh and his father was a boxer and his father killed himself and the kids uh. his his twin brother and his older brother saw this happen and it was a it was one of those things you know where they they his older brother patrick tried to take the gun away from his father's patrick was like 12 and they chased, you know, he chased the kids into the park and grabbed the gun away. And so they they witnessed this. Right. And I discover this when I'm 12 years old and I go, oh, now I get it. Now I get why he's yelling about where are the gray socks, sure. you know, yeah. like, like like because his behavior in many instances was just mysterious like what is
0: that rage about because it isn't about the subject it well that's sort of like where like borderline personality disorder comes from like yeah. that sense of abandonment and that like just like how why wouldn't everybody kill themselves what right and 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 the and and you know he
1: he's he, he forever at the, after that point for me became in many ways whenever he entered the kind of you know the difficult behavioral zones yeah he was just this little boy he was this i was watching a lost little boy yeah who was lost in the worst way and who was filled by the way with shame for life because, because he this. couldn't he couldn't stop him no 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 because of the horror the, there's that but yeah the, the bigger part of it was the cultural shame uh, of having a dad it, it a well killed, first of all yeah. within within the religion, that sure. is a mortal sin, right. his father could not be buried in the Catholic Church because he committed suicide, so this is this is a kind of cultural shame. it could right. never be admitted and you know and and when I d- realized that I was going to have to write about it and tell that story, yeah. in my first book my my brothers were very worried about this because it had never been discussed. In in the family, and right? In real
0: and let right. sweeping grandpa's life. <laughs> exactly. Never been dealt with, and <laughs> yeah, they yeah. said,
1: and they just kept, you know. My brother Michael was saying, the old man's going to go crazy. He's going to go crazy. He sees that in this book. He's oh, gonna he was still crazy. around. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so, and so, so uh, you're all
0: terrified of so, him.
1: Well. I wasn't because I I wasn't at that point. I certainly right. was when I was ten. <laughs> you know, absolutely. It was like you know, like he would come home and you would just have to wait. Oh yeah, is like, he on fire yeah. or, or no? Okay, good. All right, I right. Know that. Let's eat. I know <laughs> that. Was. So, but um, but my father was the first one to read that book. Yeah, and he read it in a night and he kind of woke me up in the middle of the night and just said he loved it. You oh, know? and he and he completely understood since he's a big character in the book why. That had to be explained to understand him, because he always did. did. He know it. Was it something surprising for him that you put it yes, together? Yes, it was surprising to him that it was in there. But oh, that's I, great. But I think in the flow of the book, it probably wasn't surprising when that paragraph started coming up, because I was explaining him and I was explaining motivations yeah. and I was explaining choices he made. Yeah. And I think, and he's such. He was such a smart. He was very, you know, he was essentially, you know, uh, unschooled, but. He had a great head for writing and for literature and for, and so I think he understood the flow of a story,
0: and I think he understood why this is happening on page one hundred and eighty. Sure, but did he? Did do you think you made psychological and emotional connections that he hadn't made? So him reading your book was sort of a revelation. I think it must have
1: been that it must have been that because
0: the tough it, line. What, to one,
1: one thing you're discovering is, yeah. oh, this kid of mine who's now, I don't know, 30 or something. Uh, these are his observations of me. Yeah. You know, and as I sit here. I have no idea if if, if my daughter at 30 were to write a book that included me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have any idea what adjectives would be used. Right. Or, I mean, I know what facts could be told. Yeah. And and what scenes don't exist because
0: I've never done that, you know. Sure. But I don't i but don't know you have no you don't know how no matter how empathetic you are you cannot know what her experience of you is you don't know what they isolate you yeah, don't know what right. the isolated you know, camera is what, on what's the repeated thing yeah, yeah. That one
1: thing and you and 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 look i found out one fact about my father's history and i used it to explain a lot almost everything um i don't know if if my daughter has a fact or a set of facts or something about me that she then uses to explain (laughs) stuff the big
0: nightmare was she just she'll just disagree with you politically (laughs) (laughs) my father the commie
1: no she's with me
0: on that oh good good, good. she's with me on that you got her there you made sure she learned the right way right but i am
1: i am related to trump voters you know you don't you can't come from boston and not be you know you can't come no, from my I, part of and, Austin,
0: and, you know? I, and as me like uh, coming from uh, narcissism I, you know i emotionally understand some of it mm-hmm. y- you know like and, and i think anybody who is has a big ego emotionally understands you know the relief of being a dick yes <laughs> it doesn't yes. last long and most of us have shame about it right but there is that moment where right. you're like fuck you right <laughs> And you're like, he deserved it. Right. And then a year or so later, a week later, a day later, yeah, I was out of line. Yeah. Not, he's not, never out of line, this guy.
1: Yeah. The difference, by the way, culturally about that in Boston is that here are the things I'd never heard in my entire, I I, I never heard any of these words till I got to college. Please never heard that word. (laughs) Never heard the word, thank you. And I never heard the words, I'm sorry, ever. We were just uncouth, but no one was confused. Like, the, no one was confused whether you were grateful for this thing if you didn't say thank you. Yeah, it, there was a basic kind of soul level communication that where those words seemed
0: unnecessary. How do you track that though? Like with the because like I'll tell you, I, I and I've talked about it a bit before. When I was going to college in Boston, there was a period there where I was just a you know a sensitive Jewish kid in the middle of just just you know irish townies everywhere yeah and i got very, i'm so sorry it's all right <laughs> i grew to like them yeah. like i go back now and there's nothing more unique than you like the indigenous population of boston mm-hmm. you know yeah you know it's true uh there, there's not nothing like it and for a while there was terrifying and now I kind of romanticize it, but I, you know, I go to Ireland and I don't have any of, I, I feel so comfortable in Ireland. I'm a Jew and, and I'm like, this is the greatest place. It's so green. These people are so humbled by history and, uh, and, and sort of sweet and, uh, melancholy, but not nasty. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, uh, you, you know, explain the, 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 the gap? I have pondered it my whole
1: life. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, yeah. when I was a kid, the mayor of Dublin was a Jew, oh, ben- yeah. Benjamin Briscoe. Yeah. It is inconceivable that in my lifetime, there would be a mayor of Boston who <laughs> was a Jew. Okay, That was like, like unimaginable. I think it could happen now because Boston's changed dramatically and that's wonderful.
0: But did you but, think, but it wasn't because like, I didn't, here's the weird thing. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but someone asked me the other day, uh, I was on a podcast. Someone asked me about the, you know, more so the New York guys the guys that the guys you associate with trump from new york these guys that are like hey what's up you know like the assholes like <laughs> I, like in in there there's the boston version but like i don't did you find do you think they're fundamentally anti-semitic or just what oh, happened yeah.
1: oh deeply oh okay. but here's but here's what's so interesting about it it was a purely theoretical thing yeah. because we had never met one. Yeah. We wouldn't know what direction to go to find one. Yeah. And so I think I was about... let go to Newton. I, no, we didn't know where that was. Okay. okay. <laughs> there was no direct subway line. But so, 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 so yes, uh, in my neighborhood, Jew was a verb. Hmm. Okay. And, and so the prejudice, though, I, I realized when I was in high school, was completely theoretical. Yeah. And, and I realized I, at the same time that Mo the pharmacist on Adam Street yeah. is Jewish. Right. No one knew that, you know, because he had some non-Jewish last name. Right. It never crossed anyone's <laughs> mind. And so, oh, Malley. And, he and, changed And, and Moe was beloved. Yeah. Mo, and and he let people, you know, take the prescriptions without paying and catch yeah. up with them and all this. Moe was a phenomenally wonderful man. And and so everybody loved him. And I know that if I could make an announcement, by the way, everybody, Moe is Jewish, they'd go... Oh, and it would really, there'd be a pause because their anti-Semitism, which was
0: universal, as far as I could tell, was theoretical. It was. Right. But I find now that what we're finding is, and what I find that's scary about, you you know, uh, what the the remnants and the the never ending sort of legacy of of any type of racism is that, yeah, you could have done that. And they would have went. Oh, but oh, he's a good he's one. He's the good one. Yes, yes. That's
1: probably what they would have done. But and I was unique.
0: I was so lucky about because
1: my father did was a wise guy who decided I'm not going to be a cop. I'm going to be a lawyer. Because what that meant was, at Suffolk Law School, he connected with a fellow student, Sam Cinnamon, who was Jewish. And I had this wonderful Jewish man in yeah. my home when I was a little boy. You know, just just kind of learning to speak a English and and, so, and and also within my home there was an absolute ban it, and it never had to be said yeah. it was never said but there was a ban on the racial slurs and all, those, all that labeling and I only realized there was a ban when I was in someone else's house and his father was a Boston cop and we we're sitting there in the kitchen and he's, and he's talking to the, so the two parents are over there at the sink and they're talking and I hear him go I hear him say this n-word yeah and i thought he had just said fuck i thought it was like oh you can't say i was like i I was stunned by it right and 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 it was that moment when i realized oh my house is exceptional
0: yeah there's nothing worse than hearing that used casually It's just to be in a moment with somebody who feels comfortable enough or just dug in or that it's just what they say to hear that that word used casually or any sort of racist word there's that moment where you're like oh, what, do I, what do i do now yeah like you well, like, oh, well there, you, now, now couple it with he's
1: talking about someone he arrested okay yeah. so right away like that's that's where i first learned the disparate treatment that black people suffer at the hands of police
0: but where does it turn for you like so your your old but your old man wasn't a drinker no, my my father never had a drink in his life. And did you ever find out why? What I, I've
1: he? always suspected that his father was a probably right. a bad drunk.
0: Is that know? what? But what did you ever get an answer or, or get any closure, or any explanation of where your grandfather was at when he did that and why no, he did it? No, my, the only way my father would ever
1: talk about his father was in the most heroic praise. Just what a heroic, wonderful, you know, just just pure Suspended praise. Suspended
0: before he picked up that gun. The, well, his I don't impression. believe it.
1: I don't believe it. You know, it's a, it's it's his rewriting of who his father, who he wanted his father. His father the boxer. I'll never know. The yeah, boxer. His father the boxer. I'll never know. I'll never know really. I don't think I'm ever going to have some view of his father because he my father was the access to that. What about he, your
0: uncles? Don't you have uncles or aunts? They
1: they're all gone and no one talked to them about it either. My, my my father's sister is still with us, but no one's ever talked to them about it. It's just... What the, what, you're it, the journalist. I can't go to my father's sister and say, hey, let's talk about that day. You know, and I'll, by the way, she was an infant, so she didn't... She didn't you know. know. She wasn't a witness. All right.
0: You know. All right. So what drives you to uh, to get involved with politics? I mean, who were you, you know, where you started to realize, like, this is a thing that, that you could do? Uh, it was pure Accident. I had no interest in it. I
1: wasn't drawn to it in any way.
0: Were you protesting in the '60s? Uh,
1: yeah, I, in high school I was going to the uh, anti-war demonstrations, you know. And in college, and I had this weird, this weird freshman year in college where I was on the baseball team. At Harvard? Yeah, because I was I was okay at baseball, and uh, and I'd be going down to practice, and it's like I am missing the peace demonstration on the boston common today what what am i doing what yeah. kind of childish sh- shit is this yeah and and there was the, there's this wonderful throw line where he, uh, henry david Thoreau says something about you know when you become a man you put away the things of a child and i remember yeah. that line put away the things of a child right and i'm walking you know across you know, got mitt, i got a baseball, baseball glove <laughs> in my hand <laughs> and i'm going what yeah. am i doing you know yeah. it was re- so and that's the way it was you yeah. know and uh but were you awake and aware as a freshman totally you were well, in high school i was in high school i was aware see that's it. everybody was you couldn't be a sophomore in high school in america and not be worried about this because in my case my older brothers all had draft cards in their pocket and no I, of them went my oldest brother joined because uh he was advised that if you get drafted you have no control over it if you join in, and he was a college graduate by the time he joined. You might be able to get a soft assignment, which he did, and never left the United States. Okay. So, th- you know, joining was part of the strategy of avoiding the war, like actually joining, <clears throat> trying to get a cushy assignment in Germany or something. Is, you know, yeah,
0: right. that was part of it. Isn't that interesting, though? That that what made everyone so aware? Uh, 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 you know, aside from the media environment being much more intimate, you know, in, yeah. in terms of or much less expansive. Yeah. Uh, is that there was this real risk that you were going to get called up to go get killed or you, go fight. Either you
1: were going to die, or you your boyfriend kids. was going to die, your cousin. You know, all my brothers are older than me, and I never heard a word when they were in college age and I was still in high school. I never heard one word about career planning or what are we going to do. Yeah. Or, and Not a single word from anybody who was that age in my neighborhood. It was 100% about... How do I avoid Vietnam? And there were a tiny handful who just went and they didn't want to, but they would join the Marines. you know they just they just kind of obeyed the older rule.
0: But but it, it seems to me that as the 60s went on and into you know the 70s that you know, even if some of them thought it was the right thing to do initially because they believed the government, that that's that what really defines the political culture that we're still living in is that that broke down. Because of Ellsberg, because of you know information getting out, that the belief in the government doing the right thing did just uh, eroded. I think the the belief
1: in the government doing the right thing was gone by 1968, by the end of 1968. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. by the end of
0: 1968. So and anybody still, and in this book he still pulls it.
1: Yeah, up. anybody who enlists at that point is enlisting because they think they have no choice, or they're enlisting because they think it is.
0: The right thing to do, even if this is a mess. so okay, so you you, you got your mitt in your hand, you got your glove, <laughs> you can, and you and you you activate so what do you study? I end up through a process of elimination uh, studying
1: economics and I had a simple rule for myself, which was I want I want to take because you you know when I opened the college course book, there, yeah. there, were, there were thousands of courses there on my first week freshman year and there were languages i did not know existed i saw the word urdu in this book you yeah. know as a language for the very first time
0: it must have been wow it's harvard
1: your dad must yeah. have been kind of blown away was that yeah. an, an, a
0: normal thing for no one that,
1: of- that was a gigantic uh gigantic cultural achievement for us in my neighborhood harvard was the punchline of a joke. a right. friend of mine would would always say and this was true by yeah. the way uh my father works at harvard station yeah <laughs> and he was the guy who was right. making change yeah, for the yeah. tokens and um and so it was. It was like it was. Uh, it was a really weird thing, I have to say. Like when I got uh, the admission there, and I got this form of early admission that they had for the local kids, uh, basically local kids only and Boston kids only, yeah. and the kids from the rich prep schools. And they would tell you really early, like around Thanksgiving, you know, you're in. And so I actually applied to one college. I never applied anywhere else.
0: Just Harvard. And, Did you go uh, to a prep school?
1: No, oh. uh, no. I, I I had big problems in high school I ended up going to three high schools got kicked out of uh, one what was and, the problem a uh, discipline it was uh, wise guys go to high school you know yeah. I mean in our first high school that I went to uh, all my brothers went to this uh, high school in, in West Roxbury kind of uh, a higher class neighborhood uh, a Catholic high school and it was kind of new it was re- and the new high school on the yeah. block and they were competing with uh, Boston College High School which was the prestigious Jesuit high school And this was run by the Irish Christian Brothers. And the way they competed with Boston College High School was to sit the parents down, because it's brand new. My brother Michael, I think, was in, like, their first class. (laughs) Sit the parents down and say, in effect, in polite, uh, you know, clerical language. We will beat the fucking shit out of your kid more than any other teacher <laughs> anywhere. It was like we will beat them better. Where do I sign? You know, so so the cops and the firefighters and all they're all signing. So we're all there, and these guys were famous for yeah. like their torture tools and like these these canes they would use to spank you and no all. This stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was it was intense, and so and they had literally an upstairs and a downstairs staircase. and. And so my brother and I were not particularly terrible. I mean, yeah. I mean, we didn't get in fights and stuff like some of the other guys. But at the end of, uh, of like halfway through like sophomore year, yeah. they wrote a letter in the middle of the summer, like <laughs> August. Yeah. They just wrote a letter to about 25 of us and said, you know what? Don't come back. Yeah. You know, we've thought about it. Yeah. We've had some time at the beach. Yeah. We can't stand the idea of yeah. you guys walking back in here. And so we in the middle of the summer had to scramble, you know, and find another high school. So you were smart ass?
0: To... Just disruptive or
1: uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just smart ass actually. Just kind of, Oh, I mean, like we would just skip school and go play pool, sure. at the pool thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember one time uh or Were you were you getting shitty grades? No, I was doing pretty good. You know, yeah. I was doing I I was doing reasonably well. But here's the funny thing about that. Uh expectation yeah. and guidance, right? Yeah. So I have, well, by the time I'm a freshman in high school, I've got three older brothers who've gone through the same school and the same freshman year. (laughs) They say the following to me. Um, You won't understand the math. You won't understand the science. uh, You won't understand the Latin. Uh, The English and the history, that's just reading. You'll understand that. (laughs) I go, okay. So, and I'm telling you this is the...
0: big vote of confidence.
1: That's my expectation. So here's the strange thing. I'm in the second week of Latin class and i still understand everything yeah. and i think this can't last right this this it's has to fall out this at some point this has to it yeah. can't happen right yeah. and i'm in this third week of math class i understand it all yeah it's obviously not going to continue right. but i understand it yeah. so it's like if i had just had one person Somewhere in my life, who said you're going to do very well? Yeah. You know, like yeah. I wonder what would I have gotten even better grades? I don't know. You know, no one was giving me that no, uh, zero. zero. Zero man and wasn't that? No, way. He, he no, he was a terrible student. It, he just was hoping. I mean, yeah. he just was do like, what you can. He didn't know. He would have no idea how to help me with a math yeah. problem. Right. So it, it was just, and I and you know, there's a cultural thing there too, uh, which which was summarized for me flawlessly by Carol O'Connor on the Merv Griffin show <laughs> when I was about 13, right. okay? yeah. All in the Family is the biggest show in the world yeah. and Carol O'Connor has finished season one and he went off to the Abbey Theater in Dublin yeah. for the hiatus, right? Now he's back shooting se- season two. He's the biggest TV star in the world. He's sitting down with Merv Griffin, who's also Irish, sure. these two Irish right. guys, okay? Merv says to Carol O'Connor, Oh, when you went... Because Carol O'Connor had trained at the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. Oh, when you went back to the Abbey Theatre, it must have been the return of the conquering hero. It must okay. have been so wonderful. There's a little pause and a breath, and Carol O'Connor okay. says, Oh, um, or you know, the Irish would always prefer you come home a failure. <laughs> And I went, oh, my God, it's my whole culture in a sentence. It's the whole thing right there. And so so what my brothers were telling me is, don't feel bad when you flunk Latin and science. You're not going to understand chemistry. Well, no, what, no one
0: ever has. Well, what do you make of that? What is that? What, 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 why the cultural impetus? Why is it that way? If it, if, if it's a joke... And I know that they're hardened people, and the Irish are—you know—they've had—they've taken their share of shots, and that they're—they're like—I uh, I, just—but what is it about it culturally that that would be it? Is it, it a Catholic because, thing? Because
1: because success was a new experiment. This was new to them. I mean, just
0: think about it in my own my own family. I mean, my father's So their father- comfort—it's—it's it's, it's understandable. Yeah, and failure is understandable. Yeah, I mean, Success is like, what do we do with that?
1: I am, I am first generation college graduate in my family. My mother didn't go to college. Yeah, my father didn't graduate from college. I'm first generation. My, my brother Michael, Kevin, the, the, Billy, they're 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 the first ones. And in my neighborhood, by the time we were graduating from high school, approximately. A maximum of half of the kids were headed to college, and maybe half of them were going to finish. And so we didn't have two generations of experience with the full run of education. There was no physician in our family history. There was yeah. no lawyer. There was nobody who, right. who made a living in a necktie. Right. Yeah. And and so it takes a while. You know, you you don't you don't immediately adopt the values and the framework of the, su- the academically successful world just because, okay, now you kids get to go
0: to high school. But you don't think that it came down through, you know, years of, you know, uh, the, the politics of, of the British Empire and then, you know, just this sort of idea that it's ingrained in the culture that life isn't fair. Yes.
1: Oh, yes, that's for
0: sure. And that, you know, you just accept it. Yeah. And, you know, if, it, if you get lucky, it's not going to last.
1: Well, and also the other thing that, carol o'connor is saying there is they will know how to talk to me if i'm a failure they that's right won't, they won't com- know yeah, how right. to talk to me if i'm not right they right. have every word to say to the failure yeah, they they know mo- how to, they they'll like, tell them jokes have they'll, a drink they'll, they'll yeah. Yeah, everything yeah they have everything that's they, right they have no vocabulary right. for success it's comfortable. because they have no experience right. with it. and the so-called successful person is suspect to them
0: how did that happen do you have that yeah. in you like, do you no. like the you do you have an insecure like is there anything inside of you that you 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 are not comfortable with success oh no not at all um, not <laughs> a bit you can if you want if anyone point, huh? wants to
1: give me any more I, w- I will take whatever <laughs> I, whatever you can give me I mean, listen, you always like that yeah because I because this is an evolution you know uh-huh. I I don't I have no idea what I would be I really don't have the vaguest idea what I would be if my father had remained a boston cop i don't have any idea what i would have thought the horizon was i i don't know and uh no, that's but, but i've got a lot of um you know i got a lot of poison dna in me and stuff and a lot of a lot of stuff you know from my neighborhood that i use now as an excuse for the way
0: i am you know i i, I kind of yeah, you got uh, you got a lot of fuck you in you. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> yeah, okay. and, and sometimes uh, when I watch I'm watching Rachel, it gets into you. I'm like, how fuck you is he going to be tonight? <laughs> well, I tr- well, what
1: you're watching is someone <laughs> who's trying to suppress that 24 hours a day. I mean, so I mean, I you know, it literally in yeah. my neighborhood, if yeah. you stopped at a traffic light yeah. in in 1967, <laughs> and my people didn't know you there yeah. was a very strong chance that there would be punching on your driver's window of your car uh-huh. and they would punch their way through the window of your car and uh-huh. you'd be sitting there so shocked that it would take you a while to realize i should drive away because this is an <laughs> what's happening yeah yeah because there's this drunk irish 17 year old <laughs> who's going bang and he doesn't care that his hand is getting all ripped down no. right so i i was watching that as a as a little kid And I, and I, I didn't, I never liked it. I never liked it. And, and everybody in my neighborhood was ranked on how tough you are. And so literally like, who's the toughest kid in the second grade?
0: Yeah.
1: Lawrence O'Donnell. Who's the toughest kid in the third grade? Billy O'Donnell. Who's the, you know? So, and my brother, Michael was the toughest kid in his grade. So we kind of inherited those titles by the time I'm in fourth grade. And Tom Broderick comes in as a transfer from South Boston, and he's bigger than me. Yeah. I'm thinking, fighting's overrated. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have to prove myself that way. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I immediately, I started to see I could lose. That and is. as soon as I understood I could lose in fighting and I could lose teeth and stuff, yeah. I basically became a pacifist. So, like, in my neighborhood... Nobody there, nobody in my neighborhood thinks of me as the slightest tough guy in the world because I didn't
0: get in a single fight after like well, that fifth might, grade. That you know? might have been the beginning of politics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like how do I, how do I win without yeah. getting hurt? How do I charm? How do I be a diplomat? How do I do this? No, I was really, I was trying, I was always
1: trying to transcend the things in my culture that I did not like. Yeah. And I saw a lot of stuff in my culture that I didn't like. And I and I knew I'm going to have to work at this Um, for
0: yourself personally.
1: Yeah, for myself personally, philosophically and intellectually, it was really, really easy. I was in high school and I read Dick Gregory's autobiography and Dick Gregory explains, you know, why he's a pacifist bang that day i'm a pacifist forever and now i know why and dick gregory explains a gandhi to me on this page i get it 100 percent. dick gregory explains a few pages down why he's a vegetarian i walk in and i tell my mother i'm a vegetarian yeah. i become a vegetarian for the next 25 years really uh, so, 25 yeah, so, years so intellectually adopting a, a new framework that was not available within my neighborhood was the easiest possible part of it and a relief me. Yes, and a relief. And I saw, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's the correct way to think. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not even slightly tempted to throw a punch. Right. It's not. There's, I don't have any of that. I'm luckal, Luckily, that stuff got flushed out of me. All that stuff about, you know, throwing punches and and, right. and all that stuff. And and a lot of it had to do with that. I just never drank. I was ne- I was literally never drunk yeah. ever. Not once. Still. And, uh, yeah, and it was a, it was a miscalculation because it was, it was I wanted to like everybody yeah. else. Every kid my age was totally shit faced Friday and Saturday night when they were ten years old. <laughs> ten years old. If by twelve you were not getting shit faced on Friday and Saturday night, people were looking at you. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, What's wrong with so, that kid. So I tasted it and I hated it. Yeah. I drank the beer. It was the most foul thing I'd ever tasted, and I was a very cold logician. I don't want something in my mouth that I don't like the taste of. I'm not having anymore. Yeah, and I didn't give a shit about peer press you get, pressure. Or you got to stick stuff. with it. Yeah, that's what I'm told. I didn't know that, but I didn't care because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to stick with it, you know <laughs> commitment. And, and then I made the yeah. mistaken calculation that you know this could work. This could really work with the girls because. I'll be the one who's not puking. Oh, yeah. like that's yeah. gonna. My stock's gonna soar because I I won't be puking. Yeah. you know I'm the only one here who's yeah. not leaning against <laughs> a lamppost
0: puking. <laughs> like they. And did it? Did it work no, out? No,
1: yeah. because it turns out they they, like, they had to be drunk too, and, and they I, like I wasn't going to get them drunk. So and they like you know. to take care of the pukers.
0: Uh, they, yeah, they're very motherly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so after Kyle, did you did you wrote for the lampoon? Yeah, I was on the Lampoon. Uh, That
1: was just um, a lucky, a really lucky thing for me. It was back in the day where merit was not what got you on. It was really, I mean, it was merit or good guy. I got on in the good guy category. Like people just wanted me hanging around. But
0: you were a funny guy.
1: I was a funny guy to sit around and talk, right? By the standards of the place, and possibly at least fifty percent of that was my accent. Really? And,
0: uh, and so, and how'd you get rid of that accent? I had to study
1: and learn to speak American, and and it was it was <laughs> the hardest thing in the it comes world. Comes out sometimes. No, I, I like when it comes it's, out. It's 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 a show of intimacy. Uh-huh. The more uh, the more intimate I get, the more it comes out. <laughs> which is unfortunate because it's the ugliest side. Yes, you know? it comes yeah. out. But but no, I I I drove cross country between high school and college but that, yeah. that, that summer and I get as, as far as New Jersey and I need gas Yeah, and I have to talk to a gas station attendant because New Jersey you can't pump your own gas and all that stuff I don't understand a word he's saying. He doesn't understand a <laughs> word on. I'm saying. I'm like pointing. It's like I'm in Yugoslavia, pointing to a gas tank. And st- you know. I get back in the car and I go. I got to learn this. And yeah, I, yeah. so I turn on like CBS, American. like CBS News Radio, and I just sit in the car driving as if I'm in the language lab, listening to French or you know Spanish yeah. tapes, and I just listen. And it and it's. You know, it's taken forever, but it's right there, and it cracks like it'll crack on my show too. Yeah. And like I feel it cracking, and I try to swallow the word on the show, you know. And then I feel like oh, everybody sees this, you know. And then of course it flies by, and no one quite catches what that was. I turned into a cough or something. Um, so is
0: it a shame thing? Are you ashamed no, of it? Are you no, ashamed of the it's, anger? This
1: it's a weird thing. I know how weird the sound is, yeah. and and it's also. There's a the, the label of that sound is stupid uh-huh. like that is the label oh, so that. Right. It, yeah. And Southerners have this feeling, too. You know, I, I know Southerners who they would when they were kids, they would if they were, you know, had the means they would go to New York with their parents or something and they would notice, you know, that the hotel treated. Their, yeah. their father differently because he had this accent they treated him like he's dumb yeah you know and and the bad thing when i was in my 20s about the boston accent is that people didn't know what it was so they knew the brooklyn accent because that had been in the movies yeah the boston accent had not true, and so right? you just sounded stupid no one knew where that was from they yeah. didn't care you yeah. just plain sounded stupid and literally though to actually be understood yeah you actually have to learn these words <laughs> in other parts of the country or how to or, say the words properly yeah say- i mean you know, like you can say, I can say to you know to my brothers, uh, say car, yeah, and they say car, uh-huh. and they think they've said exactly what you just said. You know, it's like because
0: yeah. we couldn't hear it. You know, Boston people couldn't hear the accent. We didn't know we had an accent. Uh, yeah, it's funny. So, uh, so what happens after Harvard? Did you graduate with the honors and shit? Not nothing special. I mean, everybody does. Like, oh, okay. like to do at Harvard. Well,
1: no, there's like at that time and still like two thirds of the class gets. E- at least cum laude you know yeah, where, yeah. like if you don't have cum- I had the, that thing so you that's got the a, lowest one
0: you got so an undergraduate degree in economics yeah yeah and my, my principle was I wanted to
1: take courses where someone had to teach me so for example oh I, that you didn't because yeah, you didn't cause, know cause anything I, yeah you need a teacher for that right you can't just pick up economics books so I didn't take history courses because I thought I can just read the history myself. I don't have to right. use my course time for that. I didn't take literature courses because I thought I'll read all that when I finish college. Yeah. So I know no history and no literature. I never did the homework. I never read it.
0: And you wrote a history book.
1: Uh, so these things happen, um, <laughs> but but economics, I thought I just I, I, it's just a way of understanding the world. And I thought it was the most interesting way to understand the world and i never thought it had it would have anything to do with anything i would do occupationally in my life because i had absolutely no occupational ambition whatsoever none i had no plan nothing i was a i was a packing attendant in boston when i was a college student that's how i was making money and when where I, uh down in the combat zone as they called it what, you what, know, were, we're parking for what, uh for the theater district yeah theater district uh, the company had a bunch of lots so there were lots down at the boston garden yeah. and, and you know
0: and um all around town but and that, um, and that was a that was on the level business
1: and so when I graduated, I, it was a cash business then, Mark, yeah, yeah, a completely yeah, yeah, cash sure. business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, and so when I, when I graduated, I was a parking attendant. I went from graduation to the lot Harvard, you know, the, the next night. Harvard-educated yeah, parking I'm on attendant. The, I'm on the parking lot. And it was my father, actually, who said to me, you know, I've got this amazing case, this new case. You should write a book about it. This was a very peculiar thing to say because there was no evidence that I wanted to write. At all? Had you written? I, no, I, w- I would avoid college classes if they said you have to write a paper. I hated writing more than I could <laughs> I don't describe. Like writing I hated yeah. it. Hated it. But he had this amazing case, this civil rights case of this guy who had been killed by the Boston police, and uh, and he took on the case for the widow, and he had this amazing evidence that he had he had built. Yeah, and he he was he had he was convinced that he was proving the cover-up and that they planted a gun and all this stuff and it's a really dramatic story and so i went into his office and i stared at it and i read the police reports in about three hours and i went oh my god there's a book here yeah and so that's the first book and and that's why force. deadly force that's why he's so big in the book and it was the first book about uh police killing black americans and the The particular nature of the way that's done the way that's covered up and and everything we don't know about it everything we need to know about it and it came you know in the middle of the 1980s in a country that outside the black community didn't care about this at all it was impossible to get
0: anyone's attention to it you wrote that what year it came out in 1984 really yeah and that was the first time you ever wrote yeah when did you graduate college 1976 okay so you were just really just hanging around? Yeah, I was
1: a bum. No, there's, there's sections of my resume that look like prison time. Because it's just these big <laughs> blanks. You know, it's like, what was he doing? He was on the sofa watching TV. What do you think he was doing? You thinking. <laughs> you were thinking. thinking. No, but the book took seven years to write. So Because I, for a couple of reasons, including I didn't know how to write. Yeah. And so, I mean, I
0: literally wrote an entire version of it that the
1: publisher rejected. So this is awful.
0: Did you write funny. it on a deal? Did you pitch it and yeah, get a deal?
1: Yeah, I, 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 miraculously... Uh, I got a nine thousand dollar advance uh,
0: to write the book. It's uh, funny, like and that's in nineteen seventy seven, right? You're telling me it's like for a first book, the advance isn't much more than that. Now
1: it was the biggest. <laughs> I'd never, I didn't know there was money like that in the world, you know, And yeah. then, you know, we sold it. The book came out. We sold it to Hollywood, and suddenly, in one day, in Century City, they hand me a check for a hundred thousand dollars. And like, oh, because oh, oh, you wrote I the screenplay. No, that was just for the book rights you know just for the 100K. book rights right and no then shit. you know then there was the money for the script and all that stuff and I like and this that and that could have, that might not have gone anywhere book rights right.
0: couldn't you know right. but, but that's a lot right. for book
1: rights so writing. i really liked this business a lot better real fast and the book was know? a bestseller no it was it so it was a bestseller in boston only it it was uh, it it did okay it didn't make anything serious it, like
0: i didn't read it but so the 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 sort of story of your father is integrated throughout the story of this case Yeah, because
1: he's the lawyer you're following him as the guy who takes on this case and proves for the first time and this case goes to the united states supreme court and back he went at, to the
0: supreme court you're on
1: on this case yeah
0: and and what was it uh, what was the what was the what was it that uh, the supreme court had decided
1: well there was the there was all sorts of uh evidentiary firsts in this case and procedural firsts uh-huh. that the that, that, that judges just weren't accustomed to, you know, that you're, you're accusing the police department of covering this up. And so, so what evidence is relevant to that was something they had to mm. feel their way through,
0: you know, something had never uh, been seen before, but had been happening for years.
1: Yes, of course. Right. I mean, the, the, this was the stuff that was being discussed around kitchen tables in in black communities and nowhere else in America. And and I wrote the first op-ed piece for The New York Times about this issue in uh, 1979, I think it was. 79. The New York Times had never covered this subject at that point. It didn't exist as a subject. There was no research on it. I had to do my that's, own social science on it. To that's find so not long lungs. ago. No, it's, it's, it's crazy it's it it, it it was and you know and and you know the people the other people who knew about it were cops okay that's who that's who knew sure. about it right and so and and here's i'll tell you one story from that thing which is an, an insight into the world is not as you know it doesn't have the dimensions you think it does all the time and there's something to be said for gut and experience so jury selection on that case uh i'm in the courtroom as like a an assistant you know and my brother, Michael, is my father's co counsel on, yeah. on the case by this time. Right. And there's a woman whose husband is a Revere police officer. Revere. Revere. Uh, next door to Boston. Yeah. And my father doesn't challenge her, yeah. lets her go. And we are sure he's going to use one of his challengers for the wife of a cop. You can't let the wife of a cop on this jury deciding whether these cops murdered a guy. You can't do that. And we think he's nuts. He's And, and, and he lets it happen bang, she's on the jury and then they break for a recess. I jump up out of my seat in the audience. My brother Michael goes right to him. go, what what are you doing letting the wife of the cop, the wife of the Revere cop in the jury? My old man, like totally, 100% confident as if this is absolute fact and it's not, there's no guesswork involved, he says. "Uh, Nobody hates Boston cops like Revere cops. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) And Nobody knows what cops are capable of better than their wives. Instantaneously, Michael and I both realize he's one hundred percent right.
0: He's a genius. Yeah,
1: and this woman was with him one hundred percent of the way as a juror. She uh-huh. never had one minute of being on the cop side of that case. You know. Yeah. And there's there's nobody at Harvard Law School who can teach you that. You know. There's no. You know. <laughs> That's a good story. Is that in the movie? uh yeah i think it's in the movie it was it was a cbs tv movie back in the day of movie of the week
0: is that what it came yeah, that's it yeah. so you sold the book rights and then you got a script deal and yeah so it.
1: then i'm in this business and then show business and then in 1988 there is a writer's guild strike that lasts six months and at that point you would just gotten in I'd, I'd just been in. i yeah. just scrounging around, just getting a rewrite deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. all this stuff, right? right? I got a Ray Stark rewrite deal. I'm going to get yeah. $15,000. This yeah. is so exciting. And so there's this strike that, that happens. Yeah. And uh, Senator Moynihan, uh, who I had ended up getting to know through his daughter, who was a friend of mine. Um, you dated his daughter? No, no, no. She she knew friends of mine. She went to Harvard a few years after me. Yeah. And so she, she knew people in New York and we didn't know each other, and at some point we knew each other. Yeah. Okay, and then at some point she invited me to a thing, uh, this dinner thing that her her father was doing. I went, yeah, sure, I'll go to that. Yeah, and and uh, you know, Mrs. Moynihan's from Boston, from the Boston area. She still has a Boston accent, so we warmed
0: to each other right away. It comes back right when you talk to some. right, yeah, all, right. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I get it. and I'm and, never from there.
1: Right, and yeah. so in 1988. Um, Exactly when the Writers Guild, 1987, is when the strike started. Yeah. Um, Senator Moynihan asked me to come into his reelection campaign after he realized that my union was on strike. And I think that was an act of charity. It was like, this kid needs a check or something, right? Because he's, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and I go, okay. Yeah. you know, And, 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 and he wouldn't be a scab. And I want no one in Hollywood to know this because you work so hard to get defined as a writer here, right? It's so hard to do. And my agent now sees me as a writer. I don't want my agent to know I'm doing this. They'll think I quit the business. It's gotta be a secret, right? And I keep it a secret as long as I can because I work for him in the 1988 campaign, which means I sit there and watch because I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. And he wins with sixty-eight percent of the vote. It didn't matter whether I was. Yeah, or how or
0: long not. had he been there at that
1: point? He, this was his third term. He was yeah. running for. You know, he he was senator unstop- New York. That yeah. was
0: a Hillary Clinton seat, right? Yeah.
1: When he left, Hillary ran for his seat. Right. And uh, and he would spend you know three million to get reelected to that seat, uh, basically. And he was him. a good guy. solid yeah. guy. Character. A great guy. Yeah, yeah. And New Yorkers and, loved him. Yeah, and and a former Harvard professor, mm. uh, and so every day was like this private. You know harvard tutorial at the highest level uh he's just an extraordinary person just an extraordinary you know you know how you see somebody on stage and then the backstage version isn't as big as the onstage version yeah the backstage version of pat moynihan is way bigger than the onstage version because there's so much more that he knows and has to say what was your job I made up a title in right. the in the eighty eight campaign. I didn't have one for a yeah. long time, and I saw I read an article about the Dukakis campaign, and I saw the title "Director of Communications," and I went because Mrs. Moynihan's the campaign manager. I'm the other guy. That's yeah. the whole campaign, and I go, "Okay, I'm Director of Communications." Okay, there you go. So I didn't do anything. You I did but nothing. You must
0: have learned something though. That that seems to. I learned. I mostly I learned about
1: the state of New York, traveling upstate, all over the place. But you didn't learn anything about politics. I, and I learned. I learned a certain amount about politics, but not not very much, not then. But, but politics, what I didn't know was how much I knew about politics, because politics is, if you're going to get it generically, it is simply the anticipation of human beings, okay? And so that includes understanding that revere cops hate Boston cops and their wives know how bad cops can be and all that stuff. So the anticipation of human beings is a generic skill and i find that most people in politics don't have it uh and it's the understanding for you know applied to a means to an end yes yeah yes <laughs> and 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 so so i i knew more in my gut than i realized you know and uh and I was developing more, but I relied entirely on the Moynihan Senate staff in Washington, and to tell me, you know, something would happen, and I'd go, "What does this mean? I don't know what this is." They're talking about this Social Security thing. What is that? And Dan Crane and these other people they'd working for them—they'd just call me up and say, "Here's what you need to know." This, this, this. Oh, that's this, what you know. happened
0: to me with Brendan. Yeah, you know, when I went to Air America, I'm like, yeah. "I don't. Know, what is? What's going on?" Right, and they hey, right. will break it down for you. Right, and then you get it. Right, because politics right. is different than government. You know, they're totally different things. Yeah. they have nothing. They
1: they are unrelated skills. And yeah. what I've I've never I've, there are very few people who are good at the politics of campaigning and the politics of governing. That is the rarest possible combination. Obama might be the only one I've seen that's who, good who I, combines them both. Yeah. you know. Bob Dole was great at the politics of governing. Uh-huh. We saw what he was at the politics of campaigning for president. A little a way, stiff. Right? Yeah. I mean, just to pick an example. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, there's a lot of them. Bill Bradley was great at the politics of governing, not so good at the politics of campaigning. So that's why he was never president.
0: So so you get this little tutorial and you're, you're sort of you know in it. And then like, but that's really the beginning it kind of brings together your two worlds of writing and politics but i never write a word for pat Moran
1: cuz no one does because he's a unique but writer but you but you're
0: still learning it's just like yes. cuz there's this weird yes. thing cuz well, now you are I, a respected uh, political pundit and you know and we'll get to the west wing but at that juncture when you when you, after you whatever you learned about the legal system and this stuff uh, investigatively about your father and boston and everything else does not it, it that's part of the education of politics yeah yeah. So it all starts
1: to add. Up. Yeah. Well, the, the, the other thing, though, about, uh, about the, my entry into politics was I went in there as a writer. At that point, I'm a writer. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I'll go on. Yeah. To, I'll go on to a campaign because I want to see if I find something to write about. Mm. I have this very Plimptonian inclination, uh, which is to do things that I, I'm invited to do that I do not know how to do. So I didn't ask to work in a political campaign. You know, Pat Moynihan and Liz Moynihan asked me
0: to join their camp Oh, that's right. That's, so that's like Plimptonian, that he used to like yeah. become a boxer, yeah. become a bullfighter. George Plimpton would yeah. train with the yeah. Detroit
1: Lions <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that he could run one play in in like yeah. an exhibition game, and he would write a beautiful book about that whole experience. There you go, yeah. Paper Lion. And yeah. it was wonderful. And so my life is a set of chapters of Plimptonian exercises yeah. that I did not set out to do. I right. did not ask to do, except for uh the writer part of my life, which at a certain point I it was my father's idea and then I did it and, I, and then at that point, this is what I know how to do so i'm I'm going forward as a writer and so yes, I wanted to write for West Wing and I wanted to write in show business and I wanted to get script deals. That's all stuff that I wanted to do and put myself out for. And every other thing that I've done is an accident. It uh-huh. is just an accident. The working in the Senate, I ended up working in the Senate for Senator Morning for like seven, eight years, something like that. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the 88 campaign when it was over, he said, What do you want? We're at lunch. He said, "What do you want?" And I thought, "Like, well, I'll have the omelet." And he meant, "What job do you want?" You know. And he he couldn't make me a federal judge because I'm not a lawyer, right? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, "What job do you want?" Yeah. And he said, "Well, come into the come into the Senate office, and you yeah. can be. We'll call you my senior advisor, and uh, wow, you know, this for the guy who needs no advice." Yeah. And and then that the Senate job got increasingly important because he moved into these chairmanships and eventually became the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. And so I had to run the staff of the Senate Finance Committee We had to run that committee, which is taxation, international trade, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, health care, welfare. So we had to do a big tax bill for, for Clinton. We had to do NAFTA, had to pass through that committee. The World Trade Agreement had to pass through that committee. Hillary's health care bill tried to get made it through that committee, but did not make it through the Senate. Uh, welfare reform had to go through that committee so it was real governance and this was no longer plimpton because i literally am my hands are on the wheel i am flying this plane yeah i I, but the plimpton i never uh, was always there i was always observing it while doing it but it was intensely real when i was running senate committees that's the real thing and you're in the oval office and you are making the deal on exactly what this tax rate's going to be and
0: and that's the real thing. And that, like, that is the nuts and bolts. And like, you described it with a certain excitement. But that is exactly where the, you know, most Americans' eyes glaze over. Yes. Yes. Oh, I mine can... too. I, if someone started talking like this to me before I worked in
1: the Senate, I just would have get me uh... out of here. I can't believe it. By the time I'm two years into working in the Senate, I am sitting on the Senate floor. And I am hearing a speech about Social Security taxation. And I'm on the verge of tears. <laughs> it's it's oh I
0: can't. It's, it's amazing. So There's yeah. a weight to it. There yeah. should be. Yeah. You know, When you're in that chamber, yeah, you should feel the the, yeah. the history of it.
1: Yeah. And I feel sorry for the people who are there now because you can't you can't feel it now. It's it's become a it's a it's a nonsense place. It's a yeah. house of nonsense. So like my <laughs> like nonsense. my job doesn't exist. The title exists. Yeah. But the people who have the job that I had, yeah. they haven't passed a single bill through their committee. Uh, they have done nothing and and they don't do anything and they never will so how did west wing happen so when i uh when i left working in the senate uh basically kind of consolidated to la um and and was uh was actually writing a book then that i that i failed i was supposed to i was i got a deal to write my a version of my senate memoirs and I did such a bad job with it that the publisher canceled the book like a couple of years in, and I was on the verge of bankruptcy, and, and and it was horrible. Yeah. And MSNBC came along and said, "Hey, would you like to talk on TV about politics for money?" And I said, "How much?" And I said, "Yeah." And then I said, "Yes." Yeah. And and so I had that. Like, okay, that's yeah. that. Now I'm fending off bankruptcy. And then West Wing started up in uh, basically in the year 1999 um aaron uh aaron Sirkin got the pilot made and then the network ordered episodes and and but actually you know nbc rejected that pilot when it was first re- written they got they got the pilot they read it they rejected it yeah why I, because there's no baby dying in the emergency room no yeah. one pulls a gun oh, no one's facing the death penalty just governing. there's no car chases it's yeah. guys in neckties marginally disagreeing uh-huh. uh and then in the end getting along uh-huh. and so <laughs> it's like there's no show here right i understand yeah. completely why yeah. they rejected it um and so i was sent that pilot script as soon as aaron wrote it because my agent saw that and said wow if this thing goes to series if they make this thing they're going to need right you, this right? is your thing yeah and i didn't know aaron or anyone involved but that he knew they're going to need me and and so then a year later NBC makes the pilot because John Wells, who, had, who was running ER, used his muscle because he was also an executive producer on West Wing. He used his muscle to get NBC to make the pilot, which yeah. they did not want to do. And then the same thing happened with episodes, in, and, and they got episodes. ordered. So the, the minute they order episodes, I get the call saying, you know, okay, Aaron would like to meet you because that's yeah. when they hire writers. So the fascinating thing for me was I had read the script a year before it was shot, they then send me a video cassette of the pilot that they've shot. And as far as I can tell, in a year to think about it, Aaron has not changed one word of the <laughs> yeah, West Wing yeah, pilot. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at this thing and the script was great. And the thing I'm looking at is even greater because now there's Allison Janney and there's Martin Sheen yeah. and there's Richard Schiff and Brad Whitford. And Tommy Schlamy has this camera flying through these corridors and bringing this thing to life in, in ways that my eye didn't see when i was reading the page yeah and so i went in and met aaron and i was you know i was the only member of the writers guild in la who'd ever worked in washington at the time you know and been in the oval office in an actual business meeting and so i was an easy hire i was there well what was your impression of him immediately oh i loved him he he's he was great and and in the first year our offices were kind of like right beside each other were, we're in this little bungalow where yeah Aaron's there and I'm there and uh what was the a lot what lot were you on Warner Brothers yeah and and so I and I said at the time to a screenwriter friend of mine I'm gonna quit this MSNBC thing because I'm full-time at the West Wing I'm a writer at the West Wing full-time and this old screenwriter said to me oh no no don't do that if you quit the MSNBC thing then you'll just be another schmuck writer <laughs>
0: When you walk in the door
1: now, they all think you know something that I don't know, you know, and you do. You know, they're impressed with you, Uh you know, being on MSNBC. So, you know, we'd be in the middle of a writer's meeting, three-hour writer's meeting or something at Warner Brothers. And I would get a a call about, you know, can I do hardball at, you know, 4 o'clock. And i go, yeah, okay. And so I would get up. And it would look like I'm going to the men's room. Yeah. And I'd come back. And then, you know, Warner Brothers is here. NBC is next door. Right. You know, where Johnny Carson's studio used yeah, to be yeah, and Jay's yeah. studio. And right above that is where they shoot these MSNBC shots. <laughs> Easy. It's like four minutes away. Yeah. So I would disappear from the table for like 25 minutes, which is a long men's room thing, but it's not unheard sure. of. Okay. How many <laughs> writers
0: are in there? There's write- another,
1: there's like, you know, eight or nine writers. Yeah. In the room. And I would come back. A little orange yeah. you know with this yeah, with makeup makeup, on makeup thing you know and and resume where yeah. we were because it's easy for in a drama room it's easy to be stuck for 25 minutes yeah so you come back in they're right where they were when you left you know <laughs> so you go, yeah, yeah, how yeah. about this yeah you exactly. know ah great idea Just a guy standing <laughs> at a board
0: <laughs> yes right at the same place right, right. And a bunch of guys kind of sitting around like uh. right.
1: Well, but you you did both jobs for the, all those years. Yeah, but the MSNBC thing was nothing. It was literally like I had never never gave it a thought. West Wing was you know, TV writing was my job. That was my real life. That was a full time job. And, and you did it for like yeah. for years. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did the first two years of West Wing. Yeah, and then I left and created my own show for NBC. Which didn't last long. I had, the one with I, Josh Brolin? I had Josh Brolin playing a senator, yeah. an appointed senator. He's a good actor, that guy. Oh, he's so great. I love him so much. So good. Working with him was just a dream. And, and how many seasons? You did one we season? Did, we did. We got halfway through a season. And that, that, and that was they, it. And they pulled the plug? Yeah. They, they asked me to, you know, come back. They could see my show was sinking, and they asked me to come back. If 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 that if your show gets canceled, would you please come back? You know. And, and oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, I will, because I will be desperate. I will come back
0: right now. And all this time, you're still shooting the MSNBC show every day? No little guest shots and uh, not every oh. day it was whenever so I said it wasn't yes. a regular show yeah it there's, just, da- there's days
1: it. when I'd say no you like, were just on
0: the payroll yeah. as a guy can, can you be
1: a guest on hardball today right. no I
0: can't I get it you know my it.
1: deal was I can always say no I would go weeks at a time without being on at all. Right. Because my deal was I can say no every time you call me. And
0: at some point you got married and had children during in this? In
1: before, yeah, when I was working in the Senate, actually. My daughter was born uh, in the year before I left the Senate. Oh, married an actress? Yes, Catherine Harold. Who, Where'd you uh, meet her? Uh, In New York, in the the world of New York.
0: She's funny. She's the greatest, yeah. uh, You guys get along? Yeah. Oh, that's good. She's
1: fantastic. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. I loved her in, uh, what was that, Modern Romance? Was she in Modern Romance? Mary Harvard
1: in Modern Romance. And what I love about that name is, that's Albert. Albert Brooks trying to come up with a wasp's name, you know. And it's like
0: <laughs> Mary I, I'm, in
1: my life, I have yeah. never met anyone named Harvard. Yeah, I think they like they they went extinct. Right, that tribe, you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like
0: Albert, oh, Mary Harvard. That's yeah, funny. Like, and was she? Which was wasn't she in one of the Gary Shandling shows?
1: Yeah, she played Gary's ex wife in I think it was season two. Right, I, I was at of Larry last, Sanders. Yeah, I was at Larry, Larry Sanders, yeah. which was the greatest, just the greatest thing to watch. And you know, no one no one wanted her to do it i remember when they were asking her to do it i was still in washington i remember coming out of the white house on a cell phone like the size of you know <laughs> <Yeah>. a toaster <laughs> yeah. and she's telling me you know i love the show cuz we'd seen season 1 yeah. I thought it was the greatest thing ever and and they're going no, it's hbo cuz in in those days you know she could get 22 episodes on yeah. nbc or cbs in and and plus the second payment because they're going to rerun everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the money was gigantically higher on, the, on CBS than it would have been on HBO. So none of her representatives want her to do what we think is the best show on television yeah, when yeah. we're watching. Sure. It. And so she, you know, she did it. you know And you guys um, split up in like... Yeah, not... I don't know. I don't know. Mid-90s yeah. somewhere. I don't know. But you're, like you're all right. You're yeah, co-parenting. Yeah, yeah the, the parenting thing... Um, the parenting thing should mean that you are friends and partners for life it
0: should mean that yeah and and if it doesn't you better figure out how to make it mean that i think that's true and sometimes it's a it's a rough maybe couple years transition yeah we didn't have a rough time well, that's I, good we never it really never had a rough time okay people i know like, we always yeah. understood what the, right what, what it was. yeah it's, all, it's heartbreaking when yeah. shit gets bad yeah and it's yeah i don't and the, and i i've never had that so yeah, i don't that's good. understand it so, all right, so you do all the West Wing, and then you get your own show on MSNBC, and that's your thing now. That's what you do. Uh, yeah, I guess it's my thing you now. Know, and you're it, there every night. No, I, I know, I
1: know, you're right. No, but see, this is, and this is the thing I've only yeah. realized recently, is that how I've never, because I didn't ask for it, I never asked for it. I never asked to be a pundit on MSNBC. I never asked for a show on MSNBC, never. And what happened is I would go in as a substitute. And the ratings would be very strong sometimes. For they're, like Ed or who? Like, who you uh, the to do biggest, the, the reason they said, we need you to do a show is that I went in for Keith Olbermann when, right. when Keith, right, Keith was the number one show. Right. And I held his rating. It was yeah. the same. Yeah. The rating was just the same. Yeah. You know, and I didn't know that. They told me that. You yeah. Know? And, and so they shouldn't have told me that because I wouldn't have understood my negotiating right. position, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so they just saw that and they went. Oh, you know, we really need you to do a show, which is exactly the way Rachel became a host. Rachel Maddow substituted for Keith, she did very well. She held the rating. They said, "Hey,
0: let's put her on right after Keith." I was on Air America with her. They brought yeah. Air America. She got hired to be a news reader. And then she did, it just became clear like she like do you ever watch her do her research? I mean like Yes. Yes. I mean she like for like she would do this uh, a 2-hour show on uh on radio, which if you break it down is not not incredibly long but she would like 10 hours yes life, all night yes with papers everywhere right. she still do that right yes. papers everywhere so 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 <laughs> i finally like agree
1: like okay yeah I'll, I'll and i didn't want to do it because my daughter was still in high school yeah. and i didn't want to be in new york that much and and you know when you don't want to do something it it means if they really want you to do it then it just gets more and more advantageous the way, the way especially
0: this, if you don't give a fuck
1: yeah and and so um so I finally, you know, agreed to it, and I and I see the way Rachel does her, her work, right? <laughs> yeah, I look at that, yeah. and I go, okay. So, so that's what it takes <laughs> to be number one. On you've oh, got to right. do a minimum of twelve hours of preparation for the <laughs> yeah. show. How many hours do you have to do to be number two? And it turns out <laughs> <laughs> it's nowhere near what you have to do to be number one. There you go. You know, like nowhere yeah. close. I that's mean, it. and by the way, yeah, that's the Irish truth. Yeah, okay, yeah, I was just that, gonna say. I was just gonna like, say.
0: There's the Irish. Right. Yeah. 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 Number two is
1: it's perfectly fine. fine
0: with me. It's fine with me. All right, man. Well, good job on the book. Good job on the show. You're I doing a good I, thing. I don't know what I'm doing on the show. Well, you know what? It's and I I, I got to bring it up only because I saw it. I watched the uh, the video. Ah, yes. But but you know what? It's like it didn't surprise me. And you got out easy. What video are you talking about? You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> yes, I do. Because I'm a guy. I'm hot headed, and I've been in that seat before. And you have bad days, and, and you know sometimes there's a hammer. But yep. the <laughs> truth of the matter is, is that <clears throat> it did, like it didn't surprise me, and it wasn't that bad.
1: Okay. Let me just say, (laughs) I've not talked about it publicly. I don't know how, but let me just say this, that um, I hate what I saw on the video. I hate what it looks like um, because what it looks like to most people is different from what it was, but I still hate it. And I should know. That things look different to people. So, what, what did it look like? It looks like well, people characterized it as. Look at him berating the employees. No, this is man overboard. Yeah. <laughs> when when you're yelling man overboard <laughs> on a boat, you're not yelling at the crew. Right. You're going, hey, man, this is a crisis, yeah. right? And I have no hiring. The and Irish firing man power. overboard is right. Yeah, I am no one's boss yeah, in yeah. that place. They tell me there was way more yelling in the control room at each other try that switch try that switch, You know, right. and they yelled down to other right. control rooms and the other part of it is and i and I'm, i hate trying to like be defensive and get myself out of the the right. box i deserve here but yeah. i'm in a glass enclosed soundproof sure. studio i can see through the glass out there yeah. that there are some guys out there who are available to go try to find the guy who's hammering somewhere up here on top of my head yeah so when i'm yelling to them i'm trying to yell through soundproof glass they know me i know them they're not even looking in my direction then they are no one in the control room can talk to them because they don't have headsets on Uh. they finally figure it out so so there was not what it was was uh this man overboard kind of how do we fix this? a we'll lot of things going on at
0: once. You get but, the problem in your ear.
1: Right, right. And there's a moment in the tape there. And by the way, that eight minutes lasts the that covers the entire hour. Yeah. So there's a lot of quiet, calm stuff. It's there. just but, like,
0: it's ongoing. But there's a
1: moment in the tape where this, noise, this person keeps talking in my ear. It's as if right now, if, someone, if we started picking <laughs> up know, someone's phone know. call right know. now, yeah. you know, you'd go. So, so there's someone in my ear and I, and I say, oh, so now I know this can happen. Like, I've been doing this for six years, seven years. I didn't know that could happen. Like, now I know this can happen. And so I, you know... I mean, and it's, yeah. live, right? you're going and it's live, right? And it's all it's all live, and and I come <laughs> from the, the worst possible training for live because filmmaking. You know, I mean, yeah. a West Wing episode is a is a we shot it in thirty five millimeter mm-hmm. film. We took six weeks to come up with a script. You take six weeks of production, yeah. And you know, you've done a series, yeah. and you go into post production, and yeah, you and you time. can redo yeah. things even in post production if you have to, because what you're going for in any episode of television, no matter what it is, yeah. what you're going for is perfection. Now, someone might say. I didn't like that scene. You're talking about the writing. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. That's our fault. But yeah. but no one's saying, boy, the lighting was really dumb in that scene. Yeah. Or the what was the hammering? Right. Like, right. like why when, yeah. when Mark was doing that scene, yeah. what was the hammering? Yeah. Right. Because we took that out and we have complete control over that. So I came from a world where the thing that appears within the television screen has been worked to its perfection. yeah. And now I'm, and and I didn't realize that I'm in exactly the opposite arena. And this is how dumb I am. I didn't realize it until now. I didn't realize it until I saw that video and and I went, well, okay, no one told you that that could happen, but you never fully embraced the work of this job to investigate everything that could happen so that you personally, when you go out there, know what this thing is that you're stepping into you right know? and and i i never really did so now i know like if i go out there there could be anything <laughs> and my job is to deal with that you know like i watch anderson cooper and those guys standing out in the rain you yeah, know yeah. In, live and yeah. they're, they're fine i could never do a second of standing in the hurricane getting rain in my face right talking to i couldn't do one second yet yeah. i'm i'm not a real anchorman but i still have an obligation to get my readiness up to the point where if suddenly there's a rainstorm in this protected studio, uh
0: I somehow well, keep going. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't one of those because you can handle breaking news. You can handle changing <laughs> yeah. the trajectory of the yeah. story. Yeah. But like when you were there, like and I've been in those situations where whatever anyone thinks about the job, when you're on television or you know you have this downtime and shit isn't working out, it's just sort of like, can we just get this working? Because it's annoying, right. you know. Right. But, so, you know, when I'm yelling things like, you know, call
1: Phil Griffin.
0: It's, like, it's not I'm, at a person. No, it's just, no. And just... Phil
1: Griffin doesn't think I'm yelling. No. And, and so, and in my neighborhood, by the way, if you were talking in any volume less than that, no one thought you were serious. Right. Like, so, I, <laughs> so, I imagine from talking to you, that the thing that was the most horrifying was you saw your neighborhood come back. Exactly. <laughs> I spent my entire life yeah. trying to suppress <laughs> the stuff yeah. that's in that video. And uh, listen, people who have known uh, me 20 years. Yeah. Twenty years would yeah. say male, female. No, right. twenty years they would go. So you have a temper? I didn't. I didn't Come on, I, re- really? Oh my god! You give yourself cancer. The only people who've ever <laughs> yeah. seen. Are you a man of the faith? O- the only people who've ever seen anything that's like that are my brothers. And I will yell at them. They will yell back right. at me. I'll go. Are you crazy? That would be stupid to get right. that mortgage yeah, and, yeah, right. And and I have to say that in order for him to think I'm serious. Like if I <laughs> don't to talk in that if I don't yell at yeah. him about what a mistake that yeah. mortgage is, he won't think I really mean it.
0: Well I, I think there's an opportunity here, Lawrence, to maybe do a whole show in the tone of that <laughs> oh. outtake tape. <laughs> oh. oh. But focus it. Oh. don't focus it in the right
1: place oh no there's uh there's uh, there a west wing writer who is now um yeah. an oscar winner josh singer yeah and he had this idea for a show um when we when he and i were writing at the west wing and it was to be it was to be online because you couldn't do it anywhere else and it was called you stupid fuck <laughs> and i would be the host of the show <laughs> and he would be the guest he'd be the permanent guest yeah and he would say something to me like So why doesn't Obama try to get the Republicans to agree to the to go you know to the healthcare bill and and every answer i would and it's it's the guest questions the host and right. i'm sitting at the johnny carson desk like yeah, this yeah. and every one of my answers w- was to begin with you stupid fuck the reason <laughs> because because you know josh singer went to yale and harvard yeah, yeah, law yeah. school okay yeah. he was the only person at the Western, because he went to Yale and Harvard Law School, that when the door was closed and we were talking about a story, I could say to him anytime I wanted to, you stupid fuck. Because the one thing we were both sure of is he's not a stupid fuck. Right, right, right. <laughs> but right. you could just like, yeah. you could use that as your opening reaction to his idea yeah, about yeah. why we sure, should not sure. do an episode. And everybody
0: relates to that because right, that's why we have the president we have right, now. Right, Yes, <laughs> yes. It's exactly that anger that you've been hiding. <laughs> It's Driven this guy into office. No, I, I've, I've,
1: I, it's, it's, it, you know what it is? It's this thing that anthropologists see. It's like a residual piece of DNA that's still left. Uh, it, uh-huh. It's been bred out though. It dies with me.
0: Oh yeah. yeah okay. It's, it's gone. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll gone. see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll talk to your daughter in 10 years. No, it's, I it. promise you it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I, I, I believe you. Thanks for talking, man. This is fun. <laughs> See, I waited till the end, but I brought I brought up a little thing, and he, I think he handled it well. I think he handled it all right. Don't forget, if you haven't gotten a copy of Waiting for the Punch yet and you want one signed by me, you can get it at podswag.com slash punch. That's P-O-D-S W-A-G dot com slash punch. Dig it. I want to thank all the people that came out to uh, third place books up there in Seattle uh, for the book signing. Brendan and I had a great time. It was great meeting everybody. That, that's a really amazing bookstore up there that place it was nice to be in such a, a well stocked and uh, crowded independent bookstore and uh, as always again great to see all the fans of the show great to meet everybody thank you for coming out I wish I had more time to spend in Seattle but I did not this time I love it up there every time I'm up there I just want to keep moving north keep going keep going under the islands Onto the islands maybe one day Maybe one day, I will be on those islands. Maybe that's where I'll end up. I can only hope.